Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. If you look at other believers around you, do you look at them as being your joy? Interesting perspective. And even crown, the idea of uh, what does a crown represent for a king, but honor and a, and a sense of visual declaration of position and, and such. And to apply that to other people and say, the people that I've invested in, the people that I've poured my life into, they're the, the statement of my life, so to speak. Intriguing thought to look around you and say, this is my crown. Uh, do you, you know, even consider that at times is, is kind of foreign to our thinking. But I'd like to um, hone in on the second and third verses in particular this morning. It says, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It's kind of a good news, bad news thing, right? If you found out that you were going to be in a letter that would be read for a couple thousand years, that might be kind of exciting, right? The, the bad news is he's asking them to get along. Yeah. <laughs> and so for a couple thousand years, it's known that these servants of the Lord who have been uh, diligent and faithful with the gospel apparently got in a snit with each other and it came out publicly. And so we're even looking at it today. Um, thankfully, most of us don't have records kept like that. But the truth is, every now and then with other believers, we do get in a snit with each other. And there's a, there's a, a, a role here where Paul finally is stepping in and saying to one of the others, help them out. Help them get over this. Plead with them. Help them recognize this isn't taking you forward. I, uh, I look at that, and even with what Charlie was mentioning, I'm one of the people that talked to him this last week. I, there was something that I had done to uh, offend someone a dozen years ago or more, and the Lord brought that to mind this week, and I had to take care of it. And, and he gave me an insight as to what to do. But... Uh, you know, even in that, the power of our words can have deep influence, and we may not mean what we're, you know, the, the force of what we're doing, but the truth is, even though we may have a kernel of truth, if it comes out of a selfish motive or an impure heart, it is not going to bear the fruit that you think it should. And truth in that regard isn't enough because the heart of what's being presented is, is critical to the situation as well. And so there are times we walk into things and we may be spouting and we may justify ourselves and say, well, there's truth to this. It doesn't really matter if our hearts 
aren't pure in it, and, and even if it's inappropriate in the Lord. And so, you know, in looking at this, uh, you know, Paul's already, earlier in this book, he's called a group of people dogs. And so he's made a declaration, you know, if you wander off from the, the truth of God and you're trying to force a religious thing that shouldn't be, don't expect people to just keep their mouths shut. But the impression you get in this particular thing is that there are some feelings that got hurt and some tensions that came up were truly that needed to be released. The challenge in our lives is to discern what needs to be said and what doesn't, right? But in the Lord, there's an opportunity to walk that line. Um, what, I, what I'd like to do is tie in the next few verses with this idea because I think they're actually, he's still on that same page even though we tend to see them in a broader light. The next verse says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And I want to suggest to you that one of the ways of keeping from getting offended by people is to keep in that state of rejoicing and acknowledging the good around you and the things that are, are, are wondrous and blessed, so to speak. And to not be caught up in the, 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 the frailties of each other. We are prone towards sin. And we step into relationships with people prone to sin. In Christ, we must become a forgiving people if we're going to continue to function together. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's not just a one-time declaration. But there's an opportunity for a daily declaration of this. You have forgiven me much, Lord. Every single day I go before the Lord and I acknowledge I have not lived as perfectly as I wish to this day. I, every day, that I, there's a list of things that I never got done that I wanted to get done that day. Every day. Virtually every day, I've said something in a light that really didn't need to be said. I like to crack jokes. I like to tease but regularly, I step over the edge. Believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, the people know me best are going, that's understated if ever anything was. Uh, but even in that, there's this knowledge that in the Lord, He releases. And so we need to be in a place where we release others as well. And that means in the Lord, embracing something that seems impossible anywhere else, where actually things are forgotten. You know, where it, it hits you, it stings, but you're going, and you go on. And there's no, nothing chalked down in that count regarding the other. Only in the Lord is that possible, but it is possible. Sometimes we are the offender, and, and there's a responsibility when God brings that to our heart to just go say, I wronged you. I'm sorry. Or he may say, I want you to take care of this in this fashion. 
Because sometimes the verbal is just too simple. And they need to know we really care. But he'll give you insight as to what needs to happen. The reason I re see this rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice, because the next verses I think tie into this. But before I go on, a couple things. Paul's writing this from prison, as we've discussed before. He's writing it to people who, some of them are in prison. And we've also looked at the account in Acts of the brutality of what the prison experience was there in Philippi. Is it possible that in a, a Christian group, if some of the saints are hauled off to jail for their faith, that there might be a little depression threatening to descend over the group? How would we feel if, say, half a dozen in our midst got tossed in jail simply for declaring a Christian stand or a statement, declaration? Do you think the rest of us might be a little upset? You're going, it depends who it is. No, no, no. It, it, it would have that threat over the group of, of a cloud, right? And yet Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Even in prison, he has found some things of beauty and wonder where he is drawn to this experience of the suffering of Christ and he's suddenly identified with it in a way and says, I'm tied with him here. I will also be tied with him in eternity. What he achieved through death and into victory, he will bring me into victory as well. And, and even in that horrific experience, he are, he's finding these nuggets that, that just astound him and, and fill him with wonder. And he's coming out and declaring, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So he has found a beauty to life even in the most desperate situation that you could think of. Then... He goes on, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And the translation that's a part of my thinking says, let your moderation be known to all. Sometimes reading another translation is valuable just because you're, you're suddenly, you have, what word is better here? What word fits? And you start digging into it. I want to read to you some of the observations in connection with this moderation or reasonableness. Um, Clark's commentary had this. He said, mildness, patience, yieldedness, gentleness, clemency. Who knows what clemency is, but moderation. Unwillingness to litigate or contend. And then he quotes another guy named McKnight, and he says, meekness under provocation, readiness to forgive injuries, sweetness of disposition, entire government of the passions. He's, in a sense, taking this moderation and saying, this willingness to be gracious to others, doesn't that almost tie back to this plea to them to get along? Maybe he hasn't abandoned this thought already. Maybe he's continuing to process this and say, there should be something about our lives that does, doesn't cling to every wrong. And maybe that's, moderation, so to speak. The, the end of that phrase is that the Lord is at hand. And there's two ways to look in this. It, it might be the Lord is returning soon to set things straight. 
which has kind of that club idea or straight, you know, the judge, the just judge. But the other idea in looking at that is God's present right there with you to help walk you through this. Compassionate Lord sees and knows all and is present in your life to walk you through this. Both ideas are wondrous because they allow us to release, so to speak. Another one, this is Gil, your meekness or humility, graces which accompany moderation, showing lenity, not dealing with men according to the severity of laws and strict justice, but according to equity, with mildness and gentleness, giving up strict and proper right, receding from what is man's due, but not rigidly insisting on it, putting up with affronts and injuries, bearing with them in patience, interpreting things in the best sense, putting the best construction on words and actions that they will bear. So some of the guys looking at this said, he's not done with this topic. He's continuing on with it when he says, let your moderation be evident to all. Let there be a grace and a mercy about your life that is willing to hold things loosely and to release others and be patient with others and, and, and willing to embrace everything with them. Now, it doesn't, you know, again, everything in its place, right? The Lord of the ages, who is going to come back in great power and who is painted as a soldier at the end of time. And, and the God of the Old Testament that worked through individuals as warriors and judges and kings who, who took territory. is the same God of the New Testament that said, turn the other cheek and taught us to forgive. There's a tension there that we have to sort in the Lord. There's a time for action. There's a time for declaring this is wrong and it will never be right. This is inappropriate and someone needs to step in and do something. You find this tension in the home. I, I, I find it, I, I found it in particular with child raising where, you know, there is a time to discipline and, and straighten things out and say, you are not stepping over this line without some kind of consequence. And invariably, the toe goes over, inviting you, asking you to step in. And you have an obligation before the Lord to do so. But at the same time, there's this awareness, I love this kid so much, that my heart's desire is to do everything possible to see them flourish. And so in that, you're showing mercy every opportunity you can. But there's that fine tension in the Lord saying, God, what am, I, what am I to do now? Do you want me to, in a sense, say, this is, this is no further? Or do you want me to say, you know what, they're just tired, and I need to put them to bed? It, it's complicated, but if you can find wisdom in that, you can find wisdom in, in other areas as well. 
What I also find special in this is that, well, let me put it this way. Some pastors and I were having a conversation this week, and, you know, you know in truth, most churches' mission statements are almost identical. We want to bring people into relationship with God. We want to train them up. We want to teach them how to serve others. And we want them proclaiming the good news to the lost. And, and you know, some say it simpler. Some say it more expansive. But it, it's all basically the same. But then it steps into, well, what's unique about your group? Or what's the message that you have? And, of course, in this group over the last few years, we've rediscovered marriage and family as a part of our age as a group. And I guess the, the dream that I have is that if I can help build healthy marriages and help build healthy family, that the impact on the community will be significant. But I, it won't start with us trying to seize community power and then hopefully get our act together. You know, the, for me, the relationship with Christ starts interior and then has outward expression. And so hopefully we can learn how to love each other, particularly in marriage. It's learned and continues to be learned. And then to, to love our family and then to love this community, learn how to function together and plead with you know, folks, you know, quit quibbling, just get along and, and learn how to forgive. Learn how to forgive in marriage, learn how to forgive in family, learn how to forgive in community, and, and learn how to love the community at large. It, it, that's, that's a dream I have. And that's what I keep pushing toward. But in, in a situation like this, we're looking and saying, okay, even Christians at times knock heads, and sometimes it's appropriate, but sometimes it's just egos. Sometimes it's just selfish. Sometimes there's pride in us, and we don't necessarily want to admit it, but it just feels like I'm being pushed, and I don't want that. My family knows about me that I don't push very well. Now, you can ask something of me, and I'll give you the shirt off my back, and, and I, will, I will pour out my life for others, but you try to shove me, good luck. It, that's not necessarily good. It's just who I am. But God has to work through that temperament as well and say, you're a jerk here. <laughs> you need to back off. And I have that moment of but my pride <laughs> or my selfishness that says, I want it this way. And I have that choice in that moment, what am I going to do? And even though somebody's pushing, it might be the right push. You know, and you have to, this goes against everything that is a part of my nature. But it's appropriate in that moment. So we wrestle with those things, all of us, individually. And we have to come to terms with it and say, Lord, nothing supersedes what you have. And the joy that you want for us in relationship 
as we yield and as we give and as we lay down our lives for each other. And so he, he walks through that, and I'm convinced he's still on this topic, and he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So even though I'm used to looking at this in a, in a big sense, I think in some ways he's still dealing with this topic of two gals that can't get along. He's saying, if you'll release us into the Lord, there's an opportunity for your anxiety in that situation to be relieved and, 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 and let go and the peace of God to come into this situation. Charlie and I didn't talk about what we're going to share, but pretty similar, isn't it? So I'm suggesting to you that there's several of us in here that are walking through these experiences right now, and God's just going, time for you to deal with this. And it may be that somebody's hurt you, and you need to just let it go, with no thought of ever getting back, so to speak. Where you say, even if this is never corrected, I will no longer hold this in regard to this person. It's a long time. I mean, I plan on living for a while yet. Yeah, let it go. It may be that God brings to mind something or someone that you've wronged and you're going statue of limitations right and yet it keeps coming up in your prayer you know when you you go to pray and you get this quiet moment and that face is in front of you and you can't forget it better to deal with it than to have the potential of that in front of you for years or worse that god truly lets you push it down, and that area of your life never experiences the fullness of joy that he wants you to have. But you don't understand, that's pretty embarrassing to go back and, and try to write this. I do understand, trust me on this one. It's better to take care of it, that the peace of God may guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, and pure, lovely, and commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, quit chewing on the wrongs and start putting your attention into the right. This idea of rejoicing the Lord always, yeah, let's expand that a bit. And let's say, if, if, if there are things that are pure and wondrous, put your attention into those things. If they're excellent or praiseworthy, let your mind be captivated with the good things that way. It says, whatever you've learned, received, heard, or seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That's kind of a summary statement. And, he, and in this particular book, um, I think I'll just walk through the, the final portion because it, 
Yeah, I'm debating. Um, okay. I'm going to breeze through the end of the book because I don't want to go back to it. It's kind of a different topic, but okay, the first half was deal with, or first two-thirds was deal with it. The second is just he's, he's finishing up, and he, he thanks them for some gifts that they sent, and he's saying, well, let's read. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He says, whatever is set in front of me in life, I can take this on and be victorious in the Lord because he, he gives me strength. Not, he's not declaring I have a better mind than anyone else and I'll, I'll see this through or that he has more resources than anyone else. He's just saying God will enable me to walk through anything that I am in. He'll give me the strength. And then he says, it was, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. So he's saying, things, you know, I was in a very complicated situation. My confidence is that God it will take me through any of that. But the fact is that you saw it, had concern for me, and sent some gifts. He says, that was wonderful. Not that they were his savior, but they were part of the answer to the prayer. So he's acknowledging, it's not about you um, picking me up and somehow me getting through. Because What was important, he says, I knew that God was going to provide, but you were the source of that provision in the Lord. So he's not putting all the onus on them. If this fails, it's your fault. You know, you didn't come through. But rather he's saying, I can do all things through Christ. But what a wonderful thing that you stepped in and were part of the answer. It's kind of you to share in my trouble. You sent me help several times, Thessalonica. He says, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Repeatedly, you were stepping in and helping. Not that I seek a gift. He says, that's not why I'm writing you. I'm just very grateful for what you've done, essentially. And he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says, this is for you as well. Not only will God supply for me, but he will supply for you as well. Adam and I had a conversation this last week. Um, there's a man named Morris in Texas that I'd heard speak and powerfully influenced me uh, in regard to giving. And uh, it was the kind of thing that uh, it had a significant impact on me. And there, I was telling Adam some of the experiences, and he, went, he got the opportunity to listen to him. And he heard some of the same stories, and um, Adam was teasing about it, me about it and said, yeah, Pastor had a man crush on this guy because I'd quoted him, you know. <laughs> That's pretty weird, Adam. 
And, uh, and we were laughing, and he got me, and I was thinking, that's pretty funny, you know. <laughs> and so uh, about two days later, I'm going, wait a minute. You heard the same stories 10 years later? What's going on? And, and some of the luster of this infatuation was gone. You know, <laughs> I'm joking about it, obviously, but um, so I and he, I, I sent him an email, and I just said, you know, and so I was, it took me a couple of days to come up with a response to that, and uh, he said, well, actually, the guy said that every three years he shares that message, and it just happened to be the day. Well, I can receive that. I I say that to justify this story that I've told you several times. <laughs> All of that, yeah, for this. When, when I was leaving concrete work, I was pastoring in Illinois, and uh, most of my income was coming through that particular job. Uh, I had a moment where I didn't know what was going to be next for our family. And I had four kids and a nephew, I think. So five kids that I was responsible for uh, and a wife. And uh, I, was, I was at the office, and I'm reading Philippians because it's an up book, and I have no other hope except in the Scripture and in the Lord. And uh, I don't know where I'm going to get work. I, I know that my back is in bad shape, and I can't do what I've done. And so I get to 1-6, and it says, my uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And I'm going, uh, doesn't say you have to be smart, doesn't say you have to be wealthy, doesn't say you have to have a plan. It just says, he who began a good work. And I knew that God had had a stamp on my life and had put me in that place. And so, okay, God, here I am. You started it, you've promised to complete it. Complete it, you know. And... Uh, I got to the end of the book, and by then, if you know me, I'm also, my attention span doesn't last all that long. I'm half in a doze. Yeah, only four chapters. Um, and I read, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, and the phone rings. And I get up from the chair, and I'm trying to, what was I reading last? And I, I rehearse the verse. And I pick up the phone, Shara's on the end of the line, she goes, we got a letter from the bank today. And I'm going, oh, good. Because I assumed it was a bounce check. We were running kind of skinny. And uh, she says, they sent us an apology because a friend had sent us $1,000 and they forgot to notify us. In that moment... Now, the friend was a friend over in Switzerland who had no business sending us money, except later on he says, you know, when I, I quiz him about it, I said, you don't know how timely this was. And he's going, yeah, I'm standing in the shower one morning saying, I've been saving this money to give away, and uh, your name came to mind. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, but when I, when I hit that in that moment, there's going... I cannot worry about this in the same way ever again. It's too bizarre. In that year, 
the church picked up the rest of our income. In the mail, we got an anonymous $10,000 check. That's unusual, folks. It just is. But we were completely cared for. And so that's one of the things that has deeply influenced our lives, where, where we saw the faithfulness of God. We saw it through others, but we saw his hand, and there's this knowledge he will provide. And, and when, once you've walked through something like that, you are not the same. You just aren't. And, and, and some of you may be sitting with unbelievable pressure on your life right now, and I'm declaring to you, this is an opportunity for the grace of God to come through in a way that you've never dreamed possible. This is an opportunity for you to see Him provide for you in a way that you didn't dream. It may not be money, it may be something else, but it may be something you're saying, unless God intervenes, this cannot work out. And I declare to you, my God shall provide all of your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. That's the declaration. And once that becomes a part of your life, you will never look at it quite the same. On a side note, when we moved here, we did not have the same financial stress that we'd had for 20 years. But God knew that we were walking into some personality conflicts, and we didn't need that stressor. We had others. We saw him faithful in that as well. And so the, the multifaceted part of this continues to expand in our lives. And at every age and day, there's opportunity to see his goodness in that as well. And so Paul has walked through this. He has brought this word of encouragement to these people. But it's a word of encouragement to us as well, if we will receive it. And so we have this opportunity to have our lives transformed and for joy to truly be a part of us if we embrace the faithfulness of our God to step in all situations. This, this book is wonderful because there are seasons when it's just like you're cruising along and everything goes right, and, and God is so good. And then there are seasons when everything is falling apart and God is so good. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We thank you for your scripture that speaks life to us. We thank you for your faithful love that intervenes on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunity to forgive and be forgiven. We thank you that joy can be the mark of our temperament in you. Amen. One of the things that uh, I try to work through with couples when they come into my office is to say, the only person that you can work on is you. Individually, the only person that you can truly change is yourself wasting your energy on trying to force 
them into something for you because often that's rooted in selfishness and it really doesn't bear the true fruit that's appropriate for marriage. But in that, there's this tension that says, is it enough to live in excellence unto the Lord whether this person ever changes or not? And you have to make a declaration that says it is enough to honor him and to appreciate that what he brings to life, that whether this person ever changes or not is immaterial, I know what I have to do. Now the joy is that walking in health that way has fruit that spills over into those around us, and that includes our mates. But you cannot insist on transformation in their hearts. All you can take care of is yourself. In that regard, you have to say, Lord, you have told me what excellence is. You've given me an insight as to what I need to do. And so that's the way I'm going to live. You may have to release some hurts and wounds and just say, whether it ever is addressed or not, this is what I know I need to do. And you walk forward in that. I truly believe God is calling some of you here today to participate in that. I encourage you to get it together earlier in your marriage than, than what I've been wrestling with and have, and have embraced. It makes for health in a way that you didn't dream possible. And a joy with each other that uh, is unavailable except that you walk in that. I'm going to pray for God's blessing on you. And uh, what remains is open-ended worship. There's a meal downstairs, awesome meal. Shars made a kind of a breakfast thing again, I think. And uh, just pray for God's blessing. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover the joy that is held in store for them as they respond to you. Ask as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that you'll enable them to carry out the deeds of your kingdom. Cause them to be loving toward all. Enable them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.